Hi, this is Kelly Fuller, the statuesque chanteuse of song. Yeah, I, I, I read that about you in the paper, so I, I put that in. Well, then it must be true. It is true. I've got Judd busy warming up with some scales. Okay, we'll work on that. So I'm introducing this episode. Today's guest is Margot Singleton, renowned vintner, wine retailer, and world wine expert. She's a charming and deep person I know you're going to enjoy listening in. In the meantime, I'd like to invite you to visit Judd's Family Winery, Judd's Hill on the south end of the beautiful Silverado Trail here in the Napa Valley. Visiting info can be found at juddshill.com. And while you're online, have a look at his quirky videos, and I'm even one of them. You should put me in more, Judd. We should. You did a fine job in that one. <laughs> and while you're there, put some wine in your cart. And as a perk for listening, you get to type in coupon code JNVS in lowercase letters. And at the checkout, you'll get 15% off your entire wine order. Now, if you want some music to accompany these fine wines, you can go to my website at kellyfuller.com. And now, enjoy the show. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're ready. I think you're ready. Nailed it. Hmm. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lord Mole, and here's your host, Chad Fingelstein. Why, thank you, Mr. Lauren Mole. Top of the day, Judd. Top of the day, Lauren. Tell me everything. What's been happening since last we spoke? Well, I've, I've been doing quite a lot lately. I've been working at Rayleigh's. Yeah? Courtesy clerking? Yes. Giving all the customers your courtesy? Yes. That's good. I'm also excited for this weekend because uh, this Saturday we're flying to uh, Carlsbad to do a special event with Specialized Carriers and Riggers Association uh, with Everybody is a Star. Fantastic. So you're heading down to the San Diego area? That's right. And what will you be doing at this conference convention? This is, uh, you'll be singing, you'll be performing. Yes. yes, I will. They've asked me to be MC for part of the oh. entertainment. And, and as a matter of fact, we'll be flying out of, uh, I think I could say this on the air, we'll be flying out of Sacramento International Airport, which I understand is one of the uh, advertisers on this here station. I've heard some uh, some bits here. Well, that's good. You're supporting our advertisers, <laughs> keeping right. our show going. That's like so. great. So we're looking forward to it. We're, we're going to have a great time. Good, good. It sounds and like a lot of fun. So besides is. doing what you're doing in your performances and being at the convention, do you have some time also to you know, hit the beach or do some things down in the San Diego area? Or are you just, just business, in and out? Lauren Mole, the Jet Set uh, International um, performer. Well, we might we might do a little bit of business, but then uh, we fly <laughs> we fly back to Sacramento on uh, on Sunday. Okay, so it's it's a bit of a quick trip, but sounds fun. Yes, and something else I also wanted to bring up: uh, yeah. we just lost a, a Bay Area sports announcing icon nine days ago. Oh yes, Lon Simmons. Yes. Uh, I bet you grew up listening to him, as did many of us in the Bay Area. I did. And you, I being an that. announcer, did you ever gain some inspiration from him? Well, I think I might be too young to remember him. Oh, really? You didn't listen to him too much? 
but you're certainly aware of him. I'll bet you seem to know every Bay Area announcer there has been, either by personally listening or by reputation. It's, it's who you are. That's right. You're one of them. It's in your DNA. It is. Do you have any specific... Well, you said you weren't listening to him, so I guess I can't ask you for any specific uh, remembrances. But, you know, people like him. How did, how did the, the broadcasters of the Bay Area... I'm just going to lump him in and just ask you how they have influenced you. You must have grown up listening to a lot of radio, watching TV, sports. I did. Are these the types of people who will just influence you just by what they did? Are there any personal styles that you looked up to growing up? They, they have influenced me all my life. And you hope to continue doing this? I do. So so the time has come to tell Lon Simmons, just tell him goodbye. Yeah. Uh, tell him goodbye. Yeah. Well, so, thanks for bringing it up. So rest in peace, Lon Simmons. You are dearly missed. Absolutely. So uh, what's been going on with you, John? Anything uh, going on at the uh, winery? Well, yeah. I mean, there's always something. We're in the midst of bottling, which is always okay. fun and challenging, but it's good to get the wine in the bottle after, you know, taking such loving care of it from the time it was a grape, and now we... Put it in the bottle, and soon it will be on its way to enjoyment by others. That's happened at the winery. We have our tasting terrace open now, so I invite all to come visit Judd's Hill. Not only is our beautiful tasting room open for business, but a little outdoor area where the weather is gorgeous, and you can sit outside and look at the beautiful vines as they come back to life. Let me tell you something that's happening outside the winery on April 27th, coming up pretty soon, at City Winery downtown, the old opera house. I will be... Appearing Monday night, April 27th, as part of their Vintner Vinyl Series. I'll be a DJ. I'm spinning records. And it's free to come out from 6.30 till about 9, 9.30, something like that. Come out, free to attend. Just uh, have a little eat, a little drink. There's going to be a Judd's Hill wine special, of course. And I'm still figuring out what I'm going to spin, but it's going to be cool. There's no doubt about that. And then just to mark your calendar, I won't get too into the details, but our annual springtime bonanza at Judd's Hill is happening Sunday, May 17th. It's a benefit for the Napa Youth Symphony. And some of those youth will be there in person, probably a quartet playing some music. There's going to be barbecue, tons of fun. It's free to attend if you are a Judd's Hill Wine Club member. And if you're not, why not? You should be. We're always having a good time, and it's it's free to join, and you'll have good wine and good times. And then details, of course, are on our judshill.com website. Click on events for all the details right there. And that's what I got going on, man. Well, that's great. Yeah. We also have a guest. Oh, we do? What do you think? Should we uh, introduce our guest? Sure. Why not, Judd? Okay. Shall I give you just a moment while you ready yourself? I think I'm good. You're good. Okay. Okay. Go for it. You want a rare wine? Give our guest a jingle, son. Get them while she has them, and visit her store, where she hung her shingle. Run. Pop the cork. Take a sip. And feel the tingle. Fun. On her checklist, visit Judge Show to chat and mingle. Done. Let's welcome the amazing wine personality, Margo Singleton. Hey, hey Margo, Margo, how, how are you? That, oh, that kind of rhyme. Good Lauren, to meet you, Margo. <laughs> yeah, it's great to be here. Margo Thank you. Singleton, how are you? What an introduction. Yeah, That's, he's good, isn't that he? That was fantastic. Yeah, he, he's a pro. <laughs> Thank he's you. He's a pro. Thanks, Lauren. It's My nice pleasure. to have you here. It's great to be here. It's great to see you. You are you. one of these great wine personalities of Napa Valley. You know a lot about wine. You sell wine. You make wine. So let's not talk about wine to kick things off. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's, let's go back. Let's find out a little bit about your, your background, you know, how you ended up, you know, in Calistoga with your shop and your wine brand. But let's, let's take it back. You are, are you originally a, a snow shoveler from 
Wisconsin, is that where you hail from? I think that's a nicer name than Cheesehead somehow. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yes, I am from Wisconsin, so I yeah. answer to anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can call me whatever you want. But yes, I grew up sh- uh, shoveling snow and dodging mosquitoes in the summertime. Oh, and uh, that's why I live here in California, uh, <laughs> to avoid both of those things. And I love it here. It's great. What, what brought you on the path? I mean, you you originally, your studies were not in wine. Was your family uh, particularly into food and wine no, while you my, were growing up? No, my, my father was of Scottish descent, and he loved his scotch. <laughs> uh, my mother was, her family was from the Als, what was then called the Alsace-Lorraine in France. Mm-hmm. So, no, I didn't grow up in a uh, wine-drinking household. In fact, I won't even Even the Alsatian mench- side? No, no, not oh. even. Remember, this was Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Big beer drinkers, brandy, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, golly, it was 19. I don't think I want to name the date. <laughs> uh, we formed a little tasting group. Uh, my first job out of, out of school was at University of Virginia. Mm. And uh, some faculty members, we, we formed a tasting group way back then, 100 years ago. It was actually the first year that Robert Parker's Wine Advocate came out, if anyone can name that date. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good contest. It's a trivia question. (laughs) (laughs) Name that date, and then you'll know how old I am. Anyway, we formed a little tasting group, and two wines in that tasting group changed my life and the course of my life. And I've been, uh, the French would say, ferreting out great wine ever since. No kidding. And what sparked the formation of that first group? Just sound like something fun to do? Mm -hmm. You wanted to learn about wines, or? Exactly. All of us were not very well informed, although we subscribed to that publication I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And two professors had just come back from France, uh, two professors who were wiser, older, and definitely wealthier than we newly minted graduate <laughs> students. And they brought back two wines that they put into our little tasting group, and those two wines changed my life. What were the wines? One was a red Hermitage from the Rhone Valley in yeah. France, and the other one was a great red Burgundy from France. And I got to mm. ask, what was it about them? How did they speak to you? Oh, How did they reach into they your s- soul and <laughs> grab a hold? They spoke volumes, uh, just <laughs> the sheer nature. I, I had never been exposed to wines uh, so exquisite as those wines. But at that time, I was, uh, I was married to a person who was from Oregon. Here we are out in Virginia on the other coast. Mm-hmm. And he would ask his mother every time she would come visit from Oregon to bring these beautiful Oregon Pinot Noirs. And in those days, there were like four producers in all of Oregon. The undiscovered Oregon Pinot at that point. It was back then. It was just open landscape and uh, really a brave new world. And so here we are all these years later, and look how many wineries we have just in Napa Valley, for goodness sakes, let alone California, let alone Oregon, let alone the world. Yeah, wine seems to have grabbed a hold of many people's hearts and souls. It's an ever-changing landscape out there. You didn't start pursuing wine right away, though. I mean, your your degree is in anthropology, archaeology, one of these ologies that's not <laughs> enology. What, what was your course of study? French to begin with. Okay, that's a good I'd, start. Yeah, I study it, it. Actually, for the wine business, it is. You have to know how to pronounce the producers and the, <laughs> right. the, the places and all. But I had studied French in high school, and I thought, okay, I can speak this language. So I went over to France, and I realized, oh, golly, I can't speak this at all. Um, people have no clue what I'm trying to say. I can't communicate. So I started spending a great deal of time there and really working on just communicating in French. And I had other careers in uh, the performing arts, uh, managing theater, 
theater companies, dance, presenting dance in particular. Uh, Mark Morris, the great, great avant-garde dancer out of New York who performs globally now. I was one of the first presenters of Mark Morris before uh, once he had originated in New York, and uh, we were bringing him to our performing arts facility uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, about the same time, Berkeley um, was doing the same thing with Mark Morris, bringing him in very early on. And, and I'm so happy to say they still do bring him in once or twice a year wow. to Berkeley. You're on the cutting edge so, there. And so back in those days, the artists, the, the dancers, choreographers were my really inspiration and my role models and my, my heroes in the world. And now my heroes are winemakers. Well, some would say, you know, there's the same type of artistry happening, just being expressed in different, in different ways. Yes, and it's still all about aesthetics and a sense of aesthetics and art. You have quite a path here. Okay, so was it anthropology or archaeology or both that you began with? Uh, this is at University of Wisconsin, which was considered one of the finest anthro departments in the country at the yeah. time. And, and I was um, specializing in a subset of anthropology called archaeology. Oh, okay, so you were out on digs and yes. discovering new things. Yes. Where did that take you? Yes, uh, it took me into the land of mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> in Wisconsin? <laughs> yes, but I was the, the winner of finding the most artifacts that summer, one, that particular summer for that particular dig. Um, but the mosquitoes were fierce. It was a riverbed site, oh. a campsite, an ancient campsite for Native Americans. I just, I really didn't like the mosquitoes. I didn't like the dirt under my fingernails <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from you, the dig. And if you so. like dirt under your fingernails, I mean, maybe archaeology is not the place to be. But then again, as a winemaker... As a winemaker, you know, I, I want to don't come see your fingernails having, in, having the, in grapes, October. The grape skins, yeah. you know, when you're out t- testing. Okay, so uh, no dirt under the fingernails, harvest. too many mosquitoes. What else could I possibly do? I know I'll explore the world of dance and performing arts. So, so what led to this next step? I mean, you've had a lot of cool steps here. Oh, uh, then I ended up moving to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was representing a, an artist there, a wonderful Native American artist, working with him. And I happened to be walking past a new storefront, and there were workmen inside, and I thought, hmm, what's going to go in here? So I popped in to say, what is this going to be? And they said, it's going to be a wine shop. And I said, really? Oh, I think I'll go polish up my resume and drop it off. And well, I became the manager of that wine shop. Uh, that was La Casa Sena. Yeah. Uh, just off Palace, in the courtyard on Palace in Santa Fe. Uh, in those days, uh, the restaurant, La Casa Santa, had a 50-page wine list of beautiful international wines, particularly strong in Bordeaux. We had a lot of 1961 Bordeaux on the list and gr- uh, great depth and breadth of red burgundies. Um, and so that was really the beginning of my career. I'd always been collecting and tasting and, and searching out, you know, the next greatest wines. But uh, that was when I first started actually working in the wine business. And your days of uh, managing, uh, performing artists and centers, you were kind of over it at that point? You well, were just looking for the next change? I mean, after a, all, you were, you were a big deal. I mean, you, 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 you were honored <laughs> with Margot Singleton Day. In Pittsburgh, they named a day after you. They did, yes. Why? I mean, I'm, it's wonderful. Of course, you deserve a day, but why did you deserve a day? 
Uh, I got to jump back. I'm sorry. You know, we want to keep getting into the wine, but I'm so fascinated by this past of yours. Yeah, it was uh, rather unique. So in those days, I was a dance presenter, and we had a really wonderful um, organization, and uh, I had assembled a great board of directors and a great group of volunteers and and really rallied the, the dance community. And couldn't have done it with a, without a lot of fundraising, a lot, a lot, a lot. And in those days, Pittsburgh was coming out of its very dark past. Mm. A lot of people remember how much there was. The industry in Pittsburgh was based on steel, and which was a very dirty industry. Yeah. In fact, there would be just soot hanging in the air, and people would say at n- midday, noon, yeah. you couldn't. It was like twilight. You couldn't see. Uh, for the particulates in the air. Well, Pittsburgh was in the process of really cleaning up the city. It was a renaissance, uh, and we had a wonderful uh, forward-thinking mayor, Mayor uh, um, Caligiri, and he really brought Pittsburgh out of the doldrums. And uh, I was part of that movement to help Pittsburgh along, and so... That was okay. Pittsburgh's way of saying so thank you. you're a community advocate. Yes. And you know, so as a dance presenter, really, you're a facilitator bringing these wonderful performers together with an audience that appreciates what mm-hmm. they're doing. And that's really all I'm doing now with wine is sourcing out the best wines in the world and finding the audience that appreciates those wines. Yeah, that's your thing. And sharing the artistry. I'm going to... Making new fans. I'm going to step back one more time. Are you? Were you a dancer? Is that what got you in? Oh, no. Judd, no. I enjoy eating too much oh, okay. to ever be a dancer. Yeah. Cool amongst us doesn't, but... Um, okay. I, I did, in when I was uh, about five years old, my mother in Wisconsin took me to a studio down at the University of Wisconsin that was very large, hardwood floor, uh, high ceilings, cold, cold, cold. There was no heat in the studio, and mm. this is the dead of winter in Wisconsin. Oof. Picture this, you know, 44 below zero. And we had a live... I can't even imagine how cold that is. Lauren, have you ever been that cold in your life? I Minus mean, 44? <laughs> I have never been to Wisconsin before. Well, there you go, so... Well, don't go in the dead of winter, and don't go in the heart of summer. And don't study oh. at that dance studio, because no. you're going to freeze. I would never do that. Oh, okay. I, I just prefer dancing with the stars. Okay, oh, good. goodness. Not well, here snow. we were just dancing with a wonderful teacher and, and a live pianist, a little Russian lady who would play the piano. That was our music to which we um, rehearsed. And mm-hmm. Anyway, really bad memory of cold, cold, cold. Now, the coldest I've ever been in Wisconsin was minus 76. What? With the wind chill factor. It really gets that cold? Yeah, we were skiing up in the Upper Peninsula. I was 16 years old, our ski club went up to on the ski trip and you know we'd all paid for the trip and darn it we were all going to go skiing no matter what (laughs) (laughs) so you'd make one run come down sit next to the fireplace in the lodge have a hot chocolate go back up make one more run come down oh my it was crazy yeah okay that sounds why we live in california yeah i'm a cold weather (laughs) wimp i do like to go skiing but you know if it's snowing actively it's too cold for me you know if it's 30 degrees I'm, i'm i'm out of there or i've i've I, I find a bear cave and crawl in and hibernate <laughs> with them because I can't take that kind of cold. Well, good for you for That's making intense. the leap. All right, so we're in the world of wine now. You started at this shop in New Mexico, and we were there for a while. How did, how mm-hmm. did New Me- the New Mexico wine scene influence you? How did that kind of launch you on this path? Well, going back to that word facilitator, I introduced tastings in the wine shop every Friday afternoon, and I would bring in a different winemaker. It could be a winemaker from out of town, out, ah. of, the, out of the state, who happened to be in the area. It could be one of the local or regional 
New Mexican winemakers because New Mexico had a history of winemaking that goes back 400 years. Um, this is before really? Robert Mondavi. 400 years? Uh, yes. A lot of people think wine you know, really took off in 1966 with Mr. Mondavi. But in fact, the Jesuit priests who would come up from Mexico into New Mexico uh, needed wine for the sacrament. Sure. And so they brought the vines, the cuttings with them, and established vineyards 400 years ago. No kidding. Then during Prohibition, uh, earlier in the 19, you know, in the 19, 1919 to the early 1930s, all of those vines were ripped out and planted over to fruit orchards, mm. apples in particular, and cherries. And very sad. And were those ancient vines still yes, living yes, at some, that time? Yeah, some of them were. Wow. It's very sad, very sad time in the history of our country. Yeah. But then the wine the wine industry revived and really came back in such a strong way because a lot of winemakers started coming over from France. You know that situation where there's like one too many brothers in a family and one has to leave <laughs> and go find a different <laughs> career? Uh, so many winemakers came over from France with from winemaking households, mm -hmm. uh, very experienced with a long legacy of making well, hundreds of years, in fact, of making wine from France. So they knew what they were doing as they established their beachheads in New Mexico. In New Mexico, I wonder and, what the draw was there because uh, it was even less than the, the California. Ter the terroir, the the climate, the cool cool uh, evenings, cool nights, warm days, very warm days, at a higher altitude. And you can it's, grow the varieties that are required the vinifera yes they yes they did grow vitis vinifera um they also they grew many hybrids mm. as well and just like anywhere in the world that doesn't indicate or imply that all of the wines are great you have to sift through and taste through the wines to find the ones that really shine so what but were some were standouts they were there. Uh, Local New Mexican wines. What what did you like? What was coming through the store that oh, you got excited about? Oh well, um, so I was in several wine tasting groups in yeah. Santa Fe. One of them, one of the tasting groups, was up at Los Alamos Labs. Oh, and I was the only non-scientist in the group, and it was a Wednesday radiation evening. red and all that good stuff. Well, yeah. I'm coming to that. Oh, I'm coming I'm to getting that. Out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so one fellow in the group, his name is John Bologna. And great Italian gentleman, and he was making wine. He, he was retired from the lab. He had no fingerprints from working on the mom. He had no fingerprints. The, they had dissolved, or the, the, the government his, filed them off so no, he couldn't be traced? No, or what? The, his research, his, his wow. work, uh, had just eradicated his fingerprints. Oh, my goodness. So in our tasting group, John was one of the members, and and he made a wine called La Bamba. <laughs> <laughs> and the label is the big mushroom, uh, you the, know, cloud. the very famous photograph we all have seen. And he made it into Time magazine for La Bamba. It was, it was a oh, red blend, wow. but it wasn't just a an interesting, fascinating, uh, amusing, clever label. It really was very well made. Hmm. And he had a little tasting room. His winery was right at his house, and his house was out on one of the fingerlings out into the canyons. So in, from his tasting room, he just had commanding views out across the valley and across the beautiful landscape of New Mexico. So that was, that was an unusual wow. wine. What an experience. But th there were so many. There were so many. Really? How cool. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about now life these days here in Napa Valley, what's happening with you in wine. And I'm looking forward. I always enjoy talking to you. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. La, 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 la. 
Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live in Santa Fe at KVON.com. Back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. Right on, Lauren, taking cues from the previous segment, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and anywhere you can get the internet. This show can be heard at KVON.com to stream live. Or you can go to the the fine Apple iTunes store and find it by typing in Judd's Napa Valley Show, and you can hear all the past episodes as a podcast. So I'd recommend subscribing and hear all the kooky fun we have with our Napa Valley guests here. Today's Napa Valley guest is Margot Singleton. Ta-da! There she is. She's one of these great wine characters of Napa Valley, a world wine expert, a retailer, a winemaker. You have two capital letters in your name, the (laughs) M at the beginning and the X at the end. So do we pronounce it differently with the capital X at the end? How, how should we be? I've known you a long time and I've never asked you this question. Have I been pronouncing it correctly the whole time? Oh, uh, it's is simply it Margot. Margot. The, yes. the emphasis the, is on the second syllable. Yes. It's, it's the French name, the French yeah. spelling, the French pronunciation. But uh, I make a wine called MX yeah. and I've had sommeliers ask me, uh, why, why is it called MX? What, what does that name mean? Where does that come from? It's like, well, it's the first and last letter. Of my name, my yeah. first name. So, and you couldn't so. call it Chateau Margot. I wanted to, That's but your name, alas, right? you can't put that on there. Alas, that name was already taken previously. <laughs> your parents were thinking when they named you. They've kind of <laughs> sent you on this path without them even knowing about it. Your dad was a veterinarian of great reputation. I think he had some pretty big time clients. He was a veterinarian to the zoo. Correct? Yes. Uh, growing you? up in Wisconsin, he was the veterinarian for the Madison Zoo yeah. called Henry Vilas Zoo. And did you not end up with lions in your house at one point? Like in your house, <laughs> there were lions in the kitchen. Yes. Oh, in the kitchen. Okay, uh, in well, the kitchen. You know, doesn't they weren't roaming have... about. They were just in the kitchen. Yeah. And okay, the, that's uh, fine then. Let's say that these were baby lions. Oh, okay. Which they were. They had just been born. The mother had rejected them at oh. birth, and they would have died if my dad hadn't brought them home. Because in those days, there was uh, no support staff at the zoo um, throughout the night, 24-7, as zoos have now, of course. And my dad simply thought, well, I I need to take them home or they will die. Mm. So we would get up every few hours and feed them. And they were so darn cute. Wow, what a cool (laughs) memory to have. Your dad bringing lions home. Yeah, and they made it. I'm so happy to say they made it. Of course, he was a good vet. Yeah, he was. Well, at least they weren't cowardly. No, No, (laughs) not at all, not yet, anyway. Frank Lloyd Wright uh, would come and uh, bring what kind of animals did he have? I know he would drive long distances to bring his. Uh, no, he never drove. His oh, chauffeur drove him oh, oh, in his me. limousine. Okay. But yes, he was driven down the great distance from um, Spring Green, where he established the first Taliesin, mm-hmm. to my dad's veterinary clinic, which in those days, because the roads weren't very good, it was a long drive. It was a few hours to pass by several other veterinarians to get to my dad's office. And Frank Lloyd Wright, the great architect, had Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Oh, beautiful dogs. Mm-hmm. Very large dogs. And those big dogs got in the limo. Yes, with him. <laughs> with, with In him. the back, with him, oh, yes. How fun. <laughs> Why not? My dad, I, I always would pester my dad, well, tell me about Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. And my dad would say, well, he was short. That's why the ceilings in many of the houses he built, and there are several Frank Lloyd Wright houses throughout Wisconsin, the ceilings are always so low. That was his revenge on tall men. Oh, uh, he was but, vengeful. Uh, yes, a little bit. He was, he was uh, 
a prickly individual. I've heard some stories about Let's, that. Yeah, I could tell you some, but I don't think they're fit for the radio. <laughs> well, off the air, maybe for podcast content. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, well, we don't have to talk about him. But Let's, I'll just say that yeah. he c- would come down uh, in, be driven down in his linen, white linen suit oh. and with his walking stick, Hold his on. cane. White linen suit. Yes. In the back of a limo with these giant yes. <laughs> dogs. <laughs> How did he keep himself... Put together uh, it doesn't matter we don't need to know i'm just trying to picture he that. did let's talk about you let's talk about you okay so you've been in new mexico how do you get to napa valley oh golly that's uh i was working as i said at la casa Sena, managing the wine shop and i decided to take a month off and jump in the car all by myself drive out to california and spend the month visiting uh a large number of producers all up and down the state from north to south. You do some homework. And and taste, visit, meet these winemakers that I revered and taste with them, walk their vineyards with them. Um, tasted over almost 500 wines during wow. that month and kept copious notes and a log. And I was passing through Calistoga mm-hmm. on my way over to a tasting appointment over in Sonoma and I stopped in at Jan Birnbaum's old restaurant, Catahoula. Oh, yeah. Sure. And I was having a hamburger and french fries, his homemade french fries. Oh, they were so good. Yeah, that was a good spot. And, and, and a gal comes in, and, and she says, Margot? And I looked up at her, and she had been a server at La Casa Senate in Santa Fe. And she said, Margot, what are you doing here? I said, oh, I'm just passing through on my way to Sonoma for a wine appointment. What are you doing here? She said, <laughs> oh, I work here now. Wow. And she said to me, Margot, there's this place across the street that is looking for uh, someone to run their wine shop. Uh, why don't you throw your, your resume in, you know, your hat in the ring? And I said, no, no, it's not that kind of trip. I'm not here to do that. She said, no, no, just, and I said, I don't even have a resume with me. <laughs> so she gave me a piece of paper, and I, I hand wrote out a little resume, and then I got grease spots on it from, <laughs> from the, the French fries. <laughs> the homemade potato chips. <laughs> It was such a joke. Uh, long story short, I got hired. Yeah. <laughs> I finished the rest of my journey, the mm-hmm. rest of the month, had a fabulous month, and ended up back in Santa Fe getting a phone call saying, uh, long phone interview, and at the end of the interview... Uh, we loved your resume, and it smelled great, too. <laughs> yeah, and we're all about food here in yeah. Napa Valley, so you're high. So they said, if you're, if you're as good as Bone Mar, Bone Mar is a Grand Cru, Gorgeous, very expensive red burgundy. Indeed. If, if you're as good as Bone Mar, you should start packing and come out and take this job. And you said, I am. I said, I <laughs> <laughs> I did. Good for you. I said, I'm almost as good as Bone Mar. So was that at All Seasons up in yes, California? Yeah. Because that's where I think I first yes. met you. Uh, Mr. Judd, you were um, just a little tyke at that point, and you were working well, for your parents. I must have been. And then when you were old enough to drive, they asked you to, to bring a delivery to me of Judd's Pinot Noir. <laughs> and I remember the day you walked in. I'm sure I was not old enough you to weren't. drink. You weren't. You weren't of age. But I was a delivery man. But, Boy, but you could do it because you were family. It was allowed by law. And I so they say. They're, they're, I, also, I also worked the tasting bar when we, had, when we had Whitehall Lane Winery when I was like 10 years old and they, they, they told me that was legal because I was family, but who knows? No, I don't know that anyone ever looked into it, but I would stand up on cases well, so I could see over the bar and pour enough. wine for people <laughs> and talk <laughs> to, to them about this fine Cabernet and why this Chardonnay is delicious from the certain vineyard it came from. And 
Well, I just fun. thought it was so sweet that your parents had pressed you into service <laughs> and you were doing a fine job, my friend. Well, family business. Everyone gets pressed into service. So you and I go way back. Yeah, yeah. It's good memories. And your mom and your dad. Wonderful people. Well, thank you. They they always thought the same of you. And my, my mom did say to say hello. And she, I'm sure she's oh. listening right now. Hello, bunny. And I'm sure in a moment I'm going <laughs> to feel something buzz and it's going to be my mom texting, say hi back. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, bunny. <laughs> there you go. But now you've got your own place going. Let's spend some time talking because it's a cool, it's a cool story. Enoteca in Calistoga, the the Wall Street Journal called it one of the quirkiest wine shops in Napa Valley. And I didn't know if that was a compliment. I would take or not. it. I, our Is place it? has been called quirky all the time, and I love it. <laughs> Your show has been called quirky. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> You have quirky guests. And we're playing it pretty like straight me. for you today, actually. <laughs> it gets a little quirkier sometimes. But I would take it as a compliment. I mean, what do you think they meant by that? Oh, golly. The store is all about small artisanal producers uh, from wines from here and wines from there, of course, the rest of the world, too, Right. in addition to Napa. Grapes that nobody's ever heard of or people are just beginning to hear of. The selection is... I taste everything to make a buying decision for mm-hmm. the store. Anything that's in the store has already passed the taste test. Yeah. <laughs> and then also we we post. I've never seen this done anywhere. Uh, two things I've never seen done before. We post text sheets uh, on virtually every bottle in the store. And not just a little like one sentence, but this is a piece, an 8 nap by 11 piece of paper that has a variety of information on it. Tasting notes so people get a real good idea of what's in the bottle because the store is not a tasting room. It's uh, strictly wine retail to go. And so we post text sheets on everything. And then we have this thing called uh, Club Enoteca, where Mm -hmm. people uh, can receive wines that we ship to them either monthly or quarterly. And uh, it's like shopping in the store without having to be in the store. Actually coming in. Yes. And then we also enclose the text sheets uh, to accompany the wines that are in that shipment so people can read about the wines and see why they're special. So... Unlike anybody else's club in the world, these wines are hand-selected for that particular club member based on what that club member's uh, preferences are, because there's an easy little checklist uh, that we ask people to fill out indicating um, their desires. Wow, so you're hand-packing every... Every single one is is, uh, hand-selected, so therefore no two people in the club ever receive the same wines. Wow. It's very labor-intensive. I'm sure that is. Time-consuming, but that's our connection to our, our audience. And we, we have people who've been with us oh, almost the whole length of this. I did have a fellow who was with me since the beginning of the story. He has sadly passed away. But, uh, yeah, people stay for a long time. There's no contract to sign. You can stop whenever you want, but people stay with us. And why wouldn't ages. they? You know, if they're getting that kind of treatment. You know, mm-hmm. some people treat a business as transactional. Wow, I just sold whatever, you know, $200 worth of wine. Great. You know, good on my bottom line, but Hey, you might not have that customer again next month. You know, it's just, boom, I bought some wine. I'm done with it. Now I'll move on. But you're really taking the time and putting the effort into connecting with them personally. So of course they're going to stick with you. They know that every time they get something from you, it's, you have that person in mind. Uh, you've thought about them. They're going to appreciate the wine. They're going to think it's delicious. I'm sure. And they're going to look forward to the next one. They're not going to quit on you. 
That's all of cool. the above. You're right. Yeah. You're right. I, uh, some great friendships have been carved out of these I'm clubs sure too. It. In fact, I just had a couple here from uh, Maryland, uh, Robert Parker's land, last week, and I've known them forever. And I, I just sent them an email yesterday. In fact, they sent me a little email message, and I emailed back saying how I, they feel like family to me. Yeah, they feel like a brother and sister to me. Doesn't that feel good? Mm, feels great. <laughs> you know, it, but being in business for and, oneself is a lot of hard work, as you know and I know. And when you get these types of messages and you see people enjoying what you do, boy, you know, it, that really satisfies my soul. You know, when I see people sitting down and they're, they're smiling, I know I've elevated their lives a bit and they're enjoying the wine that we do. So congratulations on that. Thank you. It's a cool store. I mean, it kind of feels like you're in this, um, like a subterranean wine cellar. You know, you've got rock around and you kind of feel like you're in a bit of a cave. That was exactly the uh, attempt. I commissioned the great Trumploy artist, Carlo Marchiori, to uh, configure it and make it appear like an underground cave. Because as a former archaeologist, I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, digging around. I love rocks. I love, love, love rocks. You know, people go to France and they want to go to the department stores when they're finished. If they're on wine business, they want to go shopping and bring back, you know, the latest fashions or whatever. I go out into the vineyards and bring back rocks in oh, my no suitcase. <laughs> I love the rocks. <laughs> Do you display them in the store? I'm trying to remember. Yes, yes they are. are. The rocks are show- out there? Yeah, they're in key locations and, and you showcases. And know which rock and- came from which? Oh, yes, I do. Vineyards. Yeah, I always That's write fun. under on the bottom of the rock where it came from. You know, hold a piece of fill-in-the-blank name of famous vineyard. You know? Yes. That's cool. It's like touching moon rocks for people who are into yes, that. Yes, it is. Touching famous vineyard rocks. Oh, rocks have a lot of power. They have a lot of personality and a lot to say, I think. You think if, that comes through in the wines? Uh, yes, I do. I do. How so? What do you think rocks impart? Well, let's let's talk about the Rhone Valley. Let's talk about Chateauneuf-du-Pape, which is based on these large, round rocks that absorb. They hold the heat at the end of the day and into the night to keep the soil warm, help the vines. They're a beast if you're trying to plant a vineyard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at the people around here in Napa Valley who have to dynamite, you know, to uh, set up their terraces, for example. Every now and then you'll hear dynamiting going off in Napa Valley, and you know somebody's, you know, either working on a cave or putting in a new vineyard. Uh, Anyway, rocks, uh, and then consider the age of the rocks. They've been around for a good long while, Mm -hmm. longer than me. (laughs) (laughs) Than all of us, for sure. Yeah, how could they not impart something? Yes, they do. Whatever that is. Mm Now, the look of your store, as we said, is very cool. There's really no other place that I've seen like it. And that must have been what attracted the film crew for the Japanese version of the movie Sideways, which your store was featured prominently in that film, as were you. Uh, that's all true. Do you want to t- <laughs> tell, tell a little bit about your uh, oh, sure. your well, role as a, uh, as a movie star here? One day a man came in with a big camera around his neck and he asked if he could take pictures in the store and I appreciated him asking and I said, well, what is it for? And he said, uh, well, I'm a location scout and this is for a possible movie coming to film here. Huh? I said, uh, yeah. I, I, to myself, I was thinking, <laughs> yes, you just want to go home and paint out your dining room like this, don't you? <laughs> but I didn't say that. I thought Singleton just, you know say yes. And so I said, fine, go ahead, take pictures. 
Much to my surprise, about three weeks later, in came a movie director and his whole entourage of about a dozen people. He is AD, his artistic director. Uh, all his techies, the lighting crew, the costume mistress, the makeup ladies. and Everybody. Everybody. About a dozen of them just came into the store out of the blue. And they loved the store. They had seen the pictures that the location scout had taken. And they loved the store. And they asked if they could film there. Wow. And I said, what is the movie? And they said, it's going to be the remake of Sideways. But instead of filming down in Central Coast, like for the first movie, they were going to film Napa Valley. And I thought, okay, what does this entail? And they said, well, one thing we need to do is take down all your tech sheets that are are hung at each bottle. We understand why you have the tech sheets, but that won't play well in the movie. Mm. So we'll just take them down, then we'll put them all right back up when we're finished. And I said, okay, that's fine. I said, my real fear is the temperature. When you come in with all your gear and your lighting equipment, that you're going to raise the temperature because the temperature is always cellar temperature. Yeah, of course. A lot of the lights, store. a lot of hot lights. Exactly. Yeah. And that's when the lighting designer said, no worries. We have state-of-the-art uh, electrical. We will hang our own lights. And they do not generate one degree of heat. Hmm. Not one. It won't change your temperature one bit. Okay. And w- once I heard that, I thought, okay, my wines will be safe. We they're, can do this. They're breaking down the barriers. We can do this thing. And so we did. And if anyone hasn't seen, it, go see the original movie first, just as your baseline. And then you can rent or purchase the remake of Sideways called Sideways-u or Japanese Sideways on iTunes or Amazon Prime. There's a lot of Calistoga in the movie, and yes, the store is very much in the movie. In the movie, the gal who had Virginia Madsen's role, there's Paul Giamatti, of course, and Paul, the gal who played Virginia Madsen's role works in the store. She plays my business partner. Oh, and you in are movie. in it yes, as I yourself. Am. I am. As, yes, I play, my, cool. I play myself, which is not really <laughs> acting at all. You can't call that acting. And you had lines? I did, yes, speaking parts. Would you like to recreate that right now? Well, I'm going to set the scene. Uh, all right. The two fellows, uh, the two stars of the movie, you know who they are if you saw the original. They understand that the gal who works in the store is in Napa Valley, and they come from Los Angeles in a borrowed, old, rusty red Mustang convertible. You see them going over the Golden Gate Bridge and then arriving up in Napa Valley in front of the store, Mm -hmm. my store on Lincoln Avenue in Calistoga. And they come in, and they ask if she's there. And I say no. Wait a minute, Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's, What's the line? What's the line that they deliver? What is the question? Is she there? Is she in the store today? Lauren, go ahead. Deliver that line, and then we're going to play this scene uh, right now. Are you ready? Right. Okay. Here, here's the setup. Okay. You just gave the setup. This is the remake of Sideways, the scene where the gentlemen show up at Enoteca Wine Shop in Calistoga looking for, do we know her name? I can't remember it now. Okay, but they're looking for the woman, and they ask Margot. Is she in the store today? And I have to say... Oh, no, she's not here today. She's down in San Francisco on business, but she'll be back on Monday, and you can find her down at John's place, meaning Frog's Leap, John Williams. She also works there part-time. But you can find her down at John's place, and I do this ridiculous gesture with my thumb. You know how we kind of hitch our thumb and point it in the direction, you know, to John's (laughs) place? And the, the whole thing was unscripted. And and we just, we were winging it, kind of like we are right now. And they liked it, and they kept it, as crazy as it was. Bravo, bravo. Oh, Wonderfully thank done. Thank you, thank you. 
Um, Everyone rush out and rent that one. It was a lot of fun. But uh, it's similar to the original movie and yet quite different. They own the movie rights, so they tweak it quite a bit Mm. uh, in a favorable way. I think it's a much more charming and sympathetic and lovely story. It's It's really sentimental and sweet. Very good. I'm looking forward to seeing. I I haven't seen it. I've heard good things about it. What? Ooh, what? What? Ooh, what? One what, of your ooh, fans, uh, ooh, wait, ooh, Jake yeah. Shimabukuro. Yeah, Jake, ukulele? the great ukulele player. Yeah, yeah. Jake does the background music. Yes. And when the director, whose name is Chellen Gluck, mm-hmm. was told by the studio, the big studio Muckety Mucks, yeah. that the background music was going to be ukulele, the director said, "Oh, guys, oh no, don't not ukulele, don't do that to my movie." <laughs> and then I thought you were going to say he demanded to have Judd Finkelstein, but the studio forced Jake on him. And no, I, I yeah. that could have been the <laughs> no, the no. backstory, but 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 then the director heard Jake play. Oh yeah. And the director said, Sold. oh, Jake can do whatever he wants. Absolutely. So there's a very sweet scene where my cohort, my business partner mm-hmm. at the store, is on a sofa at her house with the character who plays, has the Paul Giamatti role. Very sweet romantic scene. And the background music is Jake Shimabukuro playing a Puccini aria. Oh, wow. He plays classical music on that oh. just exquisitely. So I had never, I knew about your ukulele playing Judd Finkelstein. I knew about it. And yeah, maybe a close second to Jake. <laughs> yeah, very close. Because after this movie, and when I learned about Jake doing the background music, when they put the whole movie together, it takes about a year to make a movie, as it turns out. I then bought a ticket and went down to hear Jake play down at Napa Opera House, which was Jake's then third time coming back to Napa Valley, playing in that same venue. And before Jake ever stood, stepped foot on stage, there was a standing ovation. Yeah. The, the theater was sold out, it was packed, and, and just standing ovation f- before anybody even saw Jake on the stage. People had flown in from Hawaii to hear him play. It, he's an, I have goosebumps just thinking about that, that he's program. He's an incredible performer. And uh, thank heavens, I ha- people out there listening right now, if you ever have a chance to see Jake play, perform, buy the ticket and you will thank Judd and me <laughs> for it. I, was, I had a really good seat. And uh, buy, here's the, the tip. Buy a seat as close as you can to the stage so you can see his lightning fast fingers. Uh, yeah, and, it makes a difference. He, it, he just becomes wh- white lightning. You it's, want to be up close for him. Yes, you do. He's wonderful. I'd love to talk more about him. We've only got a few <laughs> minutes, so I want to talk about the wine that you make. Oh, you have your own wine. I mean, we could go on and on about ukulele and fun <laughs> things. We could talk about how you're a pilot and you have written for Food and Wine magazine and all kinds of stuff. But let's let's talk about your wine that you make in the short time that we have left. MX Wines. Okay, as we know, MX. MX. It's your name, Margo, shortened. M-A-R-G-A-U-X. Yes. M-X. You make two wines. You make a Cabernet from the Tokalon Vineyard. Yes. And you make a Zinfandel. Uh, actually, where's the Zin from? I, I'm not the sure Zin is from a dry farm vineyard, St. Helena Appalachian. It's right mm-hmm. at the base of Howell Mountain. Oh, good. So there's still a little bit of curvature left to the vineyard for good drainage if we ever get rain. Right, right. <laughs> And you don't make much. There's six barrels or so yeah. you make of the cab, five barrels of the Zin. Sure, they're wonderful, and you probably sell them out in a second. Where would one even find these? I'm guessing maybe Enoteca Wine Shop in Ooh. Calistoga. Uh, that's a very good guess, yes. At EnotecaWineShop.com, uh, MXWines.com, one of these places. Yes. Where, where did you learn to make wine? Actually, because you are the winemaker of these wines. Yes. You don't have them made for you. You make them. 
That's correct. I am doing the one doing all the grunt work. Um, you do it's everything. My, it's myself and one very carefully chosen harvest intern hmm. each year. I have one harvest intern to help me because sometimes you just need two people. You need four hands to get the job done. So anyway, I've been blessed with harvest interns each year. Labor of love. You know, if you're chasing great wine all of your life and meeting all these winemakers, walking their vineyards and tasting in out of barrel and and listening and learning and listening. Eventually, you want to apply all that knowledge. You want to try your hand at it. And I started out with a pretty high-end partner in 1998. We started making wine together. And I just, uh, it's addictive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just have to do it. Uh, that's part of my DNA. So we then went our separate ways in 03. And I came back into the game completely solo in 04, 2004. Yeah. That was my first uh, debut release made all of 50 cases and now I'm up to yeah like a whopping five barrels of one or two barrels of another <laughs> well I would recommend to folks go to mxwines.com have a look we're running short mm. on time at this point so we're going to actually skip the uh, I'm going to give you this pink box normally I would ask my guest right now if you go and I'm going to spell that G-E-A-U-X uh, go nuts for D. E-A-U-X, nuts. Go nuts for donuts. You're going to take the donuts home. That's your parting gift. But we're going to go right to everybody's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. And so, Margot, you know how this works. We're going to fill in the blank. Margot, kind of quickly, you're a sharp person. Let's go. I need a superlative. I know you're a quick thinker, so let's have a superlative of uh, some sort. Fabuloso. Fabuloso. Good. How about an adjective? Breezy. Today's Breezy. 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 Another adjective. Oh, lousy. <laughs> lousy. A noun. Dog. My dog. dog. You love dogs. I do. Another adjective. Strange. Strange. And a plural noun. Rocks. Rocks. You love rocks. These I are... do. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it. This is a short one, luckily. Margo, what I did earlier today is I went onto the website, enotecawineshop.com, to get a little information about the shop, and you've just rewritten it. Here it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh -oh. This is the text from your website. Welcome to Enoteca Wine Shop, located in Napa Valley in the quaint little town of Calistoga. The store is dedicated to ferreting out and offering the most fabuloso breezy wines in the world by lousy artisanal producers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well done. Enoteca is an Italian word meaning a wine dog or strange wine library. <laughs> How do you like that? <laughs> Here is where you can find treasures from $9 for bargain hunters on up to four figures for rocks. I'll pay four figures for one of those rocks from a vineyard. Margot Singleton, it's a pleasure having you here. I love talking to you. We'll have to come back and finish all these amazing other interesting, intriguing aspects of your life. But thanks for being here today. Oh, John, it was a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is Lord Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gil Amar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.